You know, when it comes to Mary's spirituality, one of the key insights into how Mary prays, how Mary uh, discerns God's will, is captured in this phrase which you see time and time again. And it basically goes like this. Mary kept these things and then pondered them in her hearts. And so I'll spend some time today sort of unpacking that particular phrase uh, to see what it means for us, practically speaking. And so if you look carefully at the gospel, particularly in the context of the Christmas story, you find this particular phrase time and time again describing Mary's interior life, right? And so again, Mary kept these things and then pondered them in her hearts. And so, for example, think about the Annunciation when the angel Gabriel invites our Blessed Mother to be the mother of the Savior. Or think, for example, of the Holy Family at the Manger, right, where the shepherds come from the field and then tell both Mary and Joseph about what the angels said to them, glory to God in the highest and peace to people of goodwill. We hear this phrase yet again in the context of the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple, where Simeon utters that prophecy, right? So he says that Jesus will be a sign of contradiction for people. But on top of that, he says that a sword will pierce Our Lady's heart also, right? In response to which, again, she kept these things and then pondered them in her heart. And then finally, we hear this phrase uttered yet again in the context of the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. And so as you might recall, the child Jesus is lost for a period of three days before eventually being found in the Jerusalem temple, where he is found conversing with the elders. And then he says to both Mary and Joseph, did you not know I must be in my father's house before going home with them and being obedient to him, where of course he grows in wisdom and stature and the opinion of God and his people. But more to the point, in the aftermath of the Lord's words, in the aftermath of this particular event, what we hear again in the context of the gospel is that Mary kept these things and then pondered them in her hearts. Now, obviously, the fact that this particular phrase appears time and time again in the context of the gospel means that we're called to pay attention to it because, again, it reveals something really important to us about Marian spirituality. And in order to kind of unpack this particular phrase, I want to kind of unpack certain key words that you find in the context of this phrase. So to kind of kick things off, perhaps I might begin by unpacking this notion of the heart. As in, again, Mary kept all these things and then pondered them in her heart. And so in the biblical imagination, the heart wasn't simply this organ which pumped blood throughout the course of the body, nor was it seen simply as one's emotional center, but instead it was seen as being the very center of the human person. This is the place from which all decisions were made, and this is the place from which all actions flowed. And again, more to the point, in the context of the Bible, this is what people meant when they spoke about the human heart. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing. But the second thing is this. What do we mean by the word keep or kept? As in, again, Mary kept all these things and then pondered them in her heart. Well, the whole idea here, even though it's kind of subtle, is that a person is living his or her life when all of a sudden he or she discerns correctly that there's something of God in this idea, this concept, this event, this particular set of circumstances. And so now the whole goal is to discern what's the significance of this particular happening such that I might conform my will to the will of God. And so shades, for example, of Psalm 119, I have kept your word in my heart, O Lord, such that I might not sin against you. Okay, so that's kind of the second thing. But the third thing, of course, is this. What do we mean by this notion of pondering? As in, again, Mary kept these things and then pondered them in her heart. Well, I think it's important to clarify right at the outset that when we talk about pondering, 
is different than mere wonder, right? Wonder is perhaps we might say the natural human reaction to some divine happening. So for example, again, think about the shepherds in the field in the context of the Christmas story. So again, they see those angels in the sky, glory to God in the highest, and again, peace to people of goodwill, in response to which they experience wonder. But you see, the whole idea here is that even though wonder certainly is, again, the natural human response to some divine occurrence, it doesn't apply that you understand. And more to the point, it doesn't apply that you have this desire to conform your will to the will of God in response to this divine occurrence. But you see, in contrast, the notion of pondering actually does. It implies this really active process of trying to discern what is it that God wants me to do? What is he trying to say to me through these particular circumstances? And you know that because pondering doesn't simply imply recollection or the mere memory of a thing, but instead what it literally means is to throw side by side. And so again, to throw side by side. And so the whole idea here is that by pondering, you're engaging in a sort of compare and contrast exercise where you're trying to organize your thoughts and see things in light of the greater whole. And of course, implied in that is this notion that you're seeking this deeper understanding with the explicit intention of trying to conform your will to the will of God. Okay, so so much for etymology, but what does this mean for us kind of practically speaking? Well, it means kind of a couple things. And so first of all, I think it means that whenever we have any sort of religious experience, whether we're talking about something subtle in the context of prayer or something more overt, we can't simply stay on the level of wonder. But instead, we need to move deeper, to move to the level of keeping and pondering these things in our hearts. In other words, instead of being simply amazed and awestruck by the things of God, we need to actively ask ourselves the question, what is God trying to tell me through these circumstances, and therefore, what is it that he wants me to do? And so to use a really easy example, I remember talking to an older priest friend of mine about the reality of spiritual direction. And so basically what he said to me was that when he sees people for spiritual direction, quite apart from what they say about God or spiritual realities, what he's actually listening for is, does this person do his or her work? Is this person keenly attentive to where God wants him or her to be and doing what God wants him or her to actually do? And his whole point was that in the absence of that, in the absence of this concrete attentiveness to the duty of the moment, the spiritual life is but a sham. Or to put it more poetically, just to kind of paraphrase Father John Cameron, if there's any aspect of our spiritual lives which can't be reduced to the incarnation, there's something distinctively not Christian about it. Okay, so that's kind of the first thing. But the second sort of practical takeaway message is this. Even when you're trying to actively discern God's will for your life, and it's not immediately clear, don't panic, don't force the issue, but instead be content to keep these things and then ponder them in your heart. And the whole idea here is that when it comes to matters of discernment, when you're trying to discern God's will, when you're trying to discern between various options, there's always a certain tension which comes from being in the middle of that, right? Trying to, again, decide what is it exactly that God wants me to do. But you need to, in those moments, actively resist the temptation to simply make a decision to break the tension, right? Because the goal is not simply to make a decision, the goal is to actually do God's will. And if God's will for you in the moment is to simply wait, to keep these things and then ponder them in your heart, then you wait and you keep and you ponder. Okay, one final thing, I'll kind of end with this. You gotta appreciate that the end goal of all the stuff we're talking about today is to evermore become conformed to this idea of being a person of love. That's the end goal. And you see what this implies in turn is not simply a one-time thing, but a real sense of consistency over a long period of time.
And so, for example, St. Thomas Aquinas, perhaps the greatest theologian in the history of the church, talks about this particular concept when he speaks about the notion of virtue. And so basically what he says, just to kind of paraphrase, is that you know you have a certain virtue when it isn't a struggle. You know you have a certain virtue when it's easy, right? Because virtue implies habit, habit implies that something comes to you easily and well. And so, for example, if you still find that you're actively struggling to do the good thing that God wants you to do in a particular area of your life, well, then perhaps you don't actually have virtue, at least with regards to that area of your life, right? Because virtue implies ease. It implies that I'm able to recognize the good and do the good that God wants me to do easily and well. And so to use a really easy analogy, most of us have virtue when it comes to washing up in the morning. Maybe not so much when it comes to getting up in the morning, but after that, when it comes to washing up, when it comes to washing our face or brushing our teeth, most of us have virtue because, you know, for most of us, we aren't, we're not thinking to ourselves, well, gosh, I got to brush all my teeth and wash my entire face. We just do it, right? We do it easily and well. We recognize the good that God wants us to do, and we're able to do it easily and well. And, and that tells us that at least in that area of our lives, we have virtue you. And the whole point, of course, is we're meant to apply that principle to the rest of our lives, right? Which is basically to say this, the goal of the spiritual life in a certain sense is to move past the level of wonder, where I'm simply indulging in religious highs or emotional experiences, and I'm transitioning rather towards the level of virtue and therefore becoming a person of love, where I'm able to recognize and then do the good thing that God wants me to do consistently and well, not simply as a one-time thing, but again, over a long period of time. In imitation of the human heart, which pumps blood throughout the body moment to moment, day by day, faithfully keeping the rest of the body alive, or perhaps more accurately, in imitation of the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary. And may God bless you all.